I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. A lot of times what I find that people struggle with is, okay, if I acknowledge that maybe my parents did the best that they could, then that means that my experiences aren't valid. And that's not true. And both can be true that your parents did the best they could with the information and the resources that they had at the time. And also you didn't get your needs met and that caused damage for you. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 435 with guest Simone Saunders. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. It feels really awkward considering the mini-sode that I put out on Friday about my beloved dog passing away. And then a week and a half before that was the conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people where I cried again on the podcast. I feel awkward. You probably don't feel awkward. (laughs) I feel awkward. Uh, Before I forget, on March 29th, it's a Tuesday at one o'clock Eastern time, I'm having an open house virtually. And it's for anyone who is interested in the Daring Way retreat that I'm having in September. We have a few spots left. And I'll probably do a couple of these, maybe. But it's for anyone who's like, what is the curriculum? What am I going to walk away with after I do this retreat? How does the curriculum get rolled out? Is it lecture the whole time, et cetera, et cetera. I'm also going to show, basically it's 12 videos that Brene does, hosts, if you will. They're anywhere from two minutes long to I think the longest one is 17 minutes long, and that's by far the longest. And that's how the curriculum looks. And there's worksheets and discussion and sharing and and all these things. I am going to show at the open house the introduction video. It's the very first one. It's just a handful of minutes so you can get a feel of what it's like, what it's going to be about. Brene explains it really well. I'll be there to answer any questions, of course. And I'm also going to have someone there who's been through the curriculum and who's also 
also going to be my right-hand woman at the retreat, Jessica Sharp. She's actually been here on the show before, and she can answer any questions too about what it's like to be a participant in the program. So again, it's March 29th uh, at one o'clock Eastern. You don't need to sign up for anything with your email. There is a link in the show notes that you just click on it. This is so convenient. You just click on it and it automatically uh, go goes into your calendar and the Zoom link is there and everything. So you just show up with the Zoom link and hopefully I'll see you there. Okay, today's guest is another therapist I found on TikTok. I'm telling you all, TikTok is rife with therapists, with mental health professionals giving so much great advice and information over there. So Simone Saunders is here, and the very first TikTok that I saw of hers, she was talking about that for some people, they have a symptom of trauma, not everyone, but some people, where they have a feeling of a foreshortened future. So interesting. It just got my attention, and I wanted to have her on. So I do ask her about that. We also talk about more... Uh, trauma therapies, which I love. I love learning about it and giving all of you options to find specialists that, that can help you heal. And last, I just wanted to quickly apologize for anyone who has sensitive ears because we had a little bit of an audio thing going on. There was a microphone situation, rubbing on a collar situation that does get rectified after a few minutes. But again, I know that can drive some people crazy, but please rest assured it does stop after a few minutes. All right, let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Simone Saunders is a mental health and wellness-based content creator and licensed therapist in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. She is primarily known for creating content that breaks down psychoeducational topics into digestible pieces, normalizing mental health issues, and giving an inside look on the therapy process. Her overall goal is to continue to contribute to the destigmatization. Nope, that's not how you say it. That is a that is a mouthful. To the destigmatization. There you go. The destigmatization of mental health and provide accessible resources, especially within the BIPOC community. So without further ado, here is Simone. <laughs> Simone, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. We are doing a theme over the last, uh, we're a couple months in now, actually. We might even be kind of um, headed towards the end of talking about and trying to answer the question, you know, how do we heal, which I'm going to ask you later about that. But mm-hmm. um, it, I've had a lot of experts on and therapists. And so some of these topics we've covered before, but I also, I always like to talk to various experts on this. And I want to start with, Accelerated resolution therapy, because that's something I had never heard of until I saw your practice. It's also called ART. So can you talk to us about how that helps? From what I understand, it reprograms the way in which traumatic memories and images are stored in the brain. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially it uses bilateral stimulation. So using both sides of the brain. Um, And so it's similar to EMDR in that sense Mm -hmm. where Um, you have the therapist and their hand is moving back and forth in order to uh, your eyes kind of follow their hand. So that allows you to kind of process things. Um, And so the difference between ART and EMDR, because those are the most comparable treatments, Mm -hmm. is that ART is a little bit more contained, where EMDR is kind of using free association, whereas ART, your uh, therapist will be 
working with you to uh, talk about the memories that you want to process or the experiences that you want to process. And you kind of use a memory that uh, you have like a beginning, middle and end, and then you process that memory from start to finish. So by the end of the ART session, there is some sort of containment, whereas with treatments like EMDR, you might find that you have some sort of hangover, emotional hangover afterwards. Yes. I've experienced that before with EMDR. I've experienced that before with probably every somatic (laughs) therapy that I've done, that feeling of just emotional exhaustion. And like you said, like a hangover. So ART typically doesn't, doesn't have that. Yeah. Like you might experience some exhaustion because it is a lot of work, Uh but you might not uh, the difference in terms of the hangover piece is that you won't necessarily experience that activation afterwards. Got it. Whereas EMDR, um, you might be experiencing activation afterwards, uh, the, after the session. And so with okay. ART, there is kind of like a finality, whether or not you're able to process the memory fully in that session, uh-huh. there is a way to contain it so that you don't experience activation outside of the session. So when you said, did you say free association that, that you, that's something that EMDR is that the term that you used? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. So essentially it just means um, like whatever kind of comes up. So I know that with EMDR, you're, you're processing sensations as they come and whatever memories come up versus ART, it's very planned in the sense that okay. um, you go through all of these things with your therapist and really nail down exactly what memory you want to be processing so that all these things don't come up. And so if it does come up in the session, the therapist is able to process things, those things as they come along. But um, with EMDR, it's kind of all your cards are on the table. So I can't, that's where it can be triggering. So if somebody was trying to process a, a car accident, for instance, with EMDR, it would be sort of like the whole, the, the, the accident as a whole, but with ART, it would be like, what did you see? Like as the car was coming at you, when you hit the brakes, like that type of thing, is that correct? Sort of. So I guess the best way I could describe it is with EMDR, you might, let's say you want to process uh, some childhood trauma, right? Um, So you might not have specific memories. So you might just go off base of um, maybe a couple situations in Mm -hmm. your childhood and whatever memories, whatever sensations come up, come up. And that might feel really overwhelming versus ART. You really categorize things into different categories in order to process those things so that you have specific memories within a specific category in order to process things one at a time so that it's a little bit more contained. Okay. Gotcha. So that brings me to another question I was going to ask you later on, but it dovetails nicely. And that's what if some individuals can't remember their past trauma? Do do they need to have concrete memories? With ART, yes and no. So you have to have some sort of memory for ART. Um, with other somatic-based therapies, you don't necessarily need to. You mostly just have to tap into the somatic-based feelings or the physical symptoms that are coming up for you. So with ART, yes, you do need uh, to access the memories in order to be able to process those memory pieces. Um, but that's not the case with all trauma therapy. Okay. Okay. That, that makes sense. Can we talk about Internal family systems. We've talked about it a few times here on the show, but we haven't gone in depth. And so can you talk to us about the different parts and how the self is so important? Can you kind of break down, like, let's go inside, like open the door for us. Like if we we were your client, kind of give us an overview of what, of what that looks like, the different parts. Yeah, absolutely. So I really like internal family systems because I think that it's a great way to create distance um, 
in order to bring compassion. And so with internal family systems, what you're really looking at is um, your protector parts, right, which are categorized into um, so proactive and reactive. So your reactive parts would be those firefighter parts. So um, firefighter parts would come up when there's some sort of emotional activation that you don't mm-hmm. want to feel. So that typically might look like um, things like suicidal thoughts or uh, impulsive spending. Um, Is it also like lashing out in an argument with someone? Yeah. So okay. it's it's those protector parts that come up when there's things that you know you don't want to feel. Um, and then the proactive parts, that's the manager, right? And so those are the things that keep your day to day. Uh, so those might be things like if you're someone who typically overworks yourself or is so busy that you don't have space in your day to think about stuff that is your manager working so that you don't have to experience any of that emotional activation that might be there if you were kind of laying low or if you were just, I'm assuming that like the manager parts are kind of like the more noble and I'm like using air quotes, like the noble excuses for running away mm-hmm. from our problems. Like, you know, oh, she's so ambitious and she works mm-hmm. so hard. She does so, she's so successful. Or, oh, you know, she's doing the Iron Man. I've met, I've met a handful of elite athletes in my days who are clients. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> what is this about? Like, so yeah. is that is that what kind of what the manager does? Yeah, it's those okay. parts of yourself that you kind of might not really think too much about until you dig deeper into it. And why are you doing these things? So in what capacity is it helping you? And in what capacity is it hindering you in terms of being able to connect with your emotional self and what's really going on? I'm assuming that that is similar to what I talk about when I talk about self-care and how our numbing out behaviors and our self-care behaviors can often be the same thing. And like, we're the only ones who can decide because people like ask me like, well, how do I know when I'm, you know, eating too much chocolate or when I'm um, working out too much? Am I, tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm like, there's not a chart. Like there's not, I can't Mm -hmm. tell you, like you're the one who knows. And it's about tapping into your intuition and, Mm -hmm. and getting still long enough and having the right support to be able to, to understand when you have crossed the line into unhealthy behaviors. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think someone else's, um, you know, just, I feel great today and I want a snack and I want a treat. And so I'm going to have some chocolate that might be just someone's, you know, having a good night. And that may be another person's, okay, I'm avoiding my feelings. So Mm -hmm. I agree. I think it's really about tapping into really understanding your emotional experience and what's going on for you. And are you, you know, gravitating towards these behaviors because, you know, you just are having a good night and you just want to relax and spend time with yourself or other people, or is it about not wanting to be still? Got it. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Okay, so we covered man, uh, firefighters and managers, and then who else is part of the internal family system? So you also have your exiles. The exiles are those kind of hurt parts and those parts that are burdened with um, traumas, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so those are the parts that the managers and the reactive protectors are trying to keep at bay. So when I talk about those feelings of like, okay, you know, addictions or, you know, suicidal thoughts or impulsive spending, all of that kind of stuff, those firefighters come up when the exiles might come out. So the exiles are those parts that have been burdened with feelings that you don't want to feel. So that might be childhood trauma. That might be just really hurt parts of yourself, childhood Mm -hmm. parts, typically um, that are too painful for you to feel. Okay. And so by exile, is that sort of like the parts of yourself that have been pushed down and hidden for lack of a better word, because they are so painful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm thinking of parts of myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) that are that way. And then is that it? And then there's the self or are we missing any parts? Yeah. So those are like the main parts. So the exhales, those are again, like those, um, you know, dismissed childhood, uh, abandoned, abused or neglected parts of yourself. And then you have the uh, protector parts, which are divided into the reactive and the proactive, which is uh, the firefighters, the reactive and the proactive is the managers. And then you just have your present day self. Okay. And so the self is, is, is that kind of like our, like our true self, our best self, if you will, highest self, sometimes it's called, is that, is that what that is? And that's the part you're trying to get to run the show? Yeah. So I would just call it your present day self because the parts are typically um, scattered in terms of age, right? So your uh, exiles might be anywhere from, you know, four years old to however years old, right? And your uh, managers or your firefighters, who knows how old those might be, but your present day self is the one that you are in attempting to like you said, have run the show. So the issue is that typically there's not a lot of trust between Mm -hmm. the present day self and the parts. And so the parts feel like they have to run the show because they feel like they have to protect you. In in my experience, 
And I, I just know about IFS because I have friends who are therapists who told me about it. I haven't worked with someone yet on it, which I, I is next in line for me, but I have a feeling that my exiled parts, which is my, my teenage self, because mm-hmm. some really painful things happened then. My childhood, not so much. Teenager years, yes. Mm-hmm. Those parts are angry, like <laughs> full of rage. Like my inner teenager is full of rage and 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 wants to be seen and heard. And also doesn't trust anybody, like zero people. So is that kind of common what you see in in clients? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard okay. to to get to those parts, I think is really important to be aware of. So really the beginning parts and the hard work is really getting that relationship solidified between the present day self and the protector parts, because the protector parts have to feel safe enough in order for you to get to those exiled parts. Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I've struggled with trust consciously Mm-hmm. for a long time and still I think do it. So I imagined those exiled parts of me have a, have a ways to go. They need a minute. Yeah. Oh, geez. God bless the therapist that gets me next. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, what I will say is that it is a incredible experience to witness. As a, as yeah. a therapist, as a facilitator of the work. Yeah, it is. Incredible. What, what makes you say that? Now I'm curious about that. I think that it's just because it's a lot of internal work, right? So um, when you're doing that work with the therapist, you're really going inside. So what I ask my clients to do is I like guide them through some deep breaths and then I have them close or lower their eyes, whatever they feel more comfortable with. And I'll guide them with questions to ask parts of themselves and then we'll process kind of feelings or whatever kind of comes up in those moments. But it's really beautiful to see what comes up, even if it's painful stuff, it's beautiful to see like that relationship start building. I'll bet. I'll bet. It's it's an honor to be able to witness that that deeper work and probably people touching parts of themselves metaphorically that mm-hmm. that haven't been even really that haven't come out for whoever knows how long. You have talked about that a symptom of trauma that is not talked about enough. And I think I first heard you talking about this on TikTok is, um, is a sense of foreshortened future. So talk to us about that. So essentially a sense of a foreshortened future is this feeling that you might have that you're not going to live as long, that you're not going to reach milestones that you want to. And like I said, in the TikTok video, it's, it can be something that is an overwhelming, like loud thought for people, or it can just be something that is subtle at the back of your mind. But typically this impacts our day-to-day life or our decisions. And so for someone who struggles with that, who has maybe had a history of trauma, they may struggle with impulsivity. They may struggle to even think about the next year or the next couple months, and they may just live in the moment. Other people might uh, just want to be doing things all that they can in those next few days and this next few months or whatever in order to make the most of their time if they don't feel like they're going to um, you know finish high school finish college get married whatever else other mm-hmm. milestones might be important to them that's so interesting so i know someone who had childhood trauma more specifically um some emotional neglect and just neglect in general and this person has that just has always thought that they weren't going to 
live until their old age and they have specifically said, I, I always have a feeling it's going to be a car accident. But this person is like drastically the opposite. They plan so much <laughs> and prepare so much or like constantly thinking of all the ways that things could go wrong and prepare for it. Like next level Boy Scout stuff. It's really interesting to watch. And now that you've said that, I have a feeling that that's connected. Yeah. I think it can be two opposite sides of the spectrum, right? So there's people who will experience that and then say, okay, like I can't do anything about this. So I have to live for right now. And there's people that will experience that and make sure whatever they can is in their control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what it sounds like with this person that I know. That's really fascinating. Yeah. You were the first person that I had had heard of that, that had talked about that. Okay. Let's talk about hyper-independence because I've, I've talked about that in, in my work and I have my thoughts on it and the way I see it as, as people, well, I mean, we live in a culture that romanticizes that. I mean, the whole concept of, of, you know, capitalism and colonization, like Mm -hmm. the rugged individualism, our country was built on it. Mm -hmm. And I, I assume that also, um, especially in the wave of feminism, I've seen that, you know, more so in like the sixties and seventies when, cause I'm a Gen Xer, you know, we were raised being told you can do and be anything you want. And mm-hmm. we took that on. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, so I need to do everything <laughs> and I need to do it myself. Um, I don't need any help from anybody. And especially, you know, I think that some, you know, and, and even in some radical feminist spaces, you know, it's like, I don't need a man. Mm-hmm. I don't need anybody. Let me do it all myself. It can, the pendulum can swing too far the other way. So, I mean, those are just a couple of things, how I see um, hyper-independence as being, and also the aspect of vulnerability is scary. And, and, and in many ways we don't, know how to show up for each other. You know, it's not just the person who's being hyper-independent, it's their support system. So anyway, I would love your thoughts on it and even for us to like have a have a back and forth about it. Yeah, absolutely. So my perspective is more uh, from the psychological perspective and um, going kind of back to attachment, right? So when we think about attachment, we think about um, that bond between your caregivers that gives you that blueprint of how relationships, how to navigate relationships in adulthood, in when you're, you know, a child, when you're a teenager, all that kind of stuff. And so if you don't necessarily get your emotional needs met when you're a child, if you don't get physical needs met, um, you have to learn to do it by yourself typically. And so as a child, if you have to do a lot of things by yourself that aren't necessarily developmentally appropriate, then you learn that I can't rely on my caregivers to meet my needs. And when your caregivers can't meet your needs, then the rhetoric, the internal message is that if I can't rely on my caregivers to meet my needs, how can I rely on anybody else? And then, like you said, vulnerability is scary. And mm-hmm. so you navigate your life being fearful of relying on other people because the last time you did, you didn't get your needs met. Oof. So Oof. how do you, when you have a client who comes in with that, do you first... I'm assuming that you work with them on the the internal work and, you know, whether you work with, you do ART or IFS or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I would always make sure that people, first of all, if somebody came to me with that, I would refer them out to therapy. Like, <laughs> there's like <laughs> things that are just beyond the scope of what I do, mm-hmm. but I always help people 
ask for what they need from, or first find out what it is that you need. Cause sometimes we don't know what we need because we've never received it from either our caregivers or our good friends. I, you know, it's just been over the last decade, if I'm being generous, where I have learned what a really beautiful, nurturing, supportive friendship is like with mm-hmm. the women in my life. And I, I have very few, like, I don't think we have this big circle, but so my question is, I'm, I'm assuming you first hurt, help them with the internal work and then do they gradually kind of like a baby deer <laughs> go out there and, and <laughs> practice asking for help and also showing up for other people? Yeah, I think it's exactly like that. And I also think that the therapeutic relationship plays a large part in that because mm-hmm. I always say that the therapeutic relationship will typically mimic the relationships that you have in your personal life. So if you really struggle with vulnerability, if you struggle to let people in, if you struggle to let people support you in a way that's really vulnerable for you, then typically that shows up in some capacity in therapy. So yes, therapy is a space where you're more vulnerable typically than other relationships. But if you struggle with hyper-independence, typically there's a block that comes up in therapy where you don't feel like you want to be too vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So it's exploring, okay, what is it like being in this space for you when the focus is on you, when typically you haven't relied on other people to focus on you, you haven't relied on other people to care for you. And then, yeah, it's doing that in work, inner work mm-hmm. of what do you think that you need? Do you have an understanding of what your needs are? And when people do show up for you, how does that feel? Which is typically uncomfortable. Isn't that interesting that you know we go to therapy to get better, to be able to take care of ourselves, to be able to, to take care in a healthy way of the people around us. But many times when we go and sit on that couch and please tell me if like, if, if I'm, if I'm going in the right direction, we have, and, and these are adult people, you know, people in their thirties, forties, fifties beyond have no idea what it is that they need or, or certainly can't tell you what they want. I mean, I think that goes back to childhood too, right? Mm -hmm. I think that first of all, mental health, emotional needs, all of these things weren't something that was talked about 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right. So I think that it's definitely more talked about now. And so if your parents couldn't necessarily identify what they maybe needed emotionally, then they can't teach you that. And if they can't teach you that, then you're going to grow up not knowing. Mm-hmm. And so really it's, it's learning to walk. Yeah. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Well, hey there, busy mama. 
Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. What is you, this question just came for me. I, you might be totally unprepared for this, but what are your thoughts about talking to family members who... I'm assuming what you see a lot is, is people come in and they start to gather that self-awareness and hopefully they start to heal themselves and they might be the only one in their family. She speaks from experience, the only one in their family who's doing the work and who has this language around things. And what I hear a lot, the question I get a lot is like, how do I, how do I talk to my family about this? They, they don't seem receptive. It hurts my feelings. Um, you know, I want them to go to therapy or I bought them this book and they didn't even open it or, or, or worse, they make fun of me for it. Mm. What are you, um, and I know boundaries come into play, but what is your advice for, for some of your clients who come and feel hurt by that and want to make changes in their family? I think first is acknowledging it is hard. Like Mm -hmm. it is hard and sometimes it doesn't always get easier. And that, that is really hard to grieve really the relationships that you want to have with your family. If they're not in a space to be open to your suggestions or open to hearing about your mental health journey or anything like that. So I think really the first part is really grieving that for yourself, because I think that when we can grieve those things and adjust our expectations and really meet our family members where they're at, then that makes a world of a difference. Does that mean it doesn't hurt anymore? Absolutely not. It still will hurt. And it will still hurt that, you know, maybe at certain milestones that you want certain support from them that maybe they can't give you, or, you know, you want to be able to have conversations. You want to be able to talk about certain things that maybe you won't be able to talk about. And so that's not to say that that pain goes away, but it's more about, Um, adjusting your expectations. So you don't necessarily set yourself up for these feelings of hurt. Massive disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of expectation management I found. And I forget that sometimes even more recently when I saw um, my most recent therapist and I wanted to have a conversation with someone in my family. And I forgot that I had to prepare myself for a lot of different, you know, sometimes we think we know our parents or our siblings or our partners and 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 you know, maybe we do, but we ha- we we have to prepare ourselves. Mm-hmm. I have found that it seems easier to hold out hope that someone close to us will change rather than accept them for who they are, mm-hmm. and that they we have to let go of that hope that they're that they're going to change because that is like you said, it's immense grief, especially when that's apparent because that continual behavior of 
you know, bringing these things, these things to them or bringing these conversations to them. Trying to get your needs met. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Trying to get your needs met, knowing that they're maybe not in the space or not capable of meeting those needs. Like you said, it's holding on hope. And when you leave that hope at the door, that can be really incredibly soul crushing Mm -hmm. actually. Yeah. And it really forces you to acknowledge my parents maybe weren't at the place that they needed to be or that you needed them to be when you're growing up and they're still not there. I I found that that place of, and this happened for me, gosh, probably 15, 20 years ago of seeing my parents' humanity Mm -hmm. and like that shift of, of only seeing them. I really felt it in um, my dad passed away in 2016 and hearing his, thank you. It was rough, but hearing his friends and family members like tell stories from before I was born. I know this might seem sound really stupid, but it was like, oh my God, he had an entire life before me. And it wasn't his only job just to be my dad. Like he had so many other roles. And I know that sounds very selfish and like, no, but it's like, but I was his kid. (laughs) He had a role in my life. Yeah. It doesn't sound stupid or selfish at all, honestly. And that is something that is huge in therapy too, is recognizing that your parent is also a person. Yeah. Because when we're children and even as adults, you think, well, they're my parents, so they're not allowed to make mistakes. They're not allowed to do X, Y, and Z. And they're supposed to know what I need at all times Mm -hmm. and say the right thing and do the right thing. And when we humanize them, there's a part of grief in there as well, but there's also a point of understanding like, okay, this person is also human, which means that they struggle with different things and their inability to meet my needs is typically as a result of their needs, not being able to get met. I would say a lot of that, a lot, a lot of that. It allowed me to have immense amounts of compassion. Some days are easier than others, but lots of compassion. And I think I might've seen this on TikTok, but somebody was talking about how in therapy, when your inner child meets the inner child of your parent, one of your parents or both of your parents, that can be a huge shift. It's just seeing their own unmet needs and... Mm -hmm. It's complicated to me. When I look at that, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many layers. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. There are. Because <laughs> I think that a lot of times what I find that people struggle with is, okay, if I acknowledge that maybe my parents did the best that they could, then that means that my experiences aren't valid. And that's not mm-hmm. true. And both can be true that your parents did both the best they be could with the information and the resources that they had at the time. And also you didn't get your needs met. Yeah. And that caused damage for you. That's what I always tell people. And I'm like, I do believe that everyone is doing the best they can with what they have. And sometimes their best is shitty. Sometimes yeah. it's shitty. And that's where boundaries come into play. That's where, um, you know, if someone's ready for any kind of forgiveness work, whatever that looks like, acceptance. And but I, I like that you said that, you know, both can be true, that they that they did their best and you can have compassion for them and it was still painful and mm-hmm. created impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before I ask you my final question, I want to ask you, and this is just like my own curiosity. Is there, do you primarily, do do you work with all kinds of different people or do you primarily work with like millennial women or, or what does your client base usually look like before I ask this question? Yeah, I would say my client base typically is women um, between the ages of, I would say like 21 to 40. Okay. Yeah. 
Do you find that they come with a typical either list of agenda that they want to work on or one particular thing? What is the most common thing that you work on? And second part of that question, do they, do they sometimes come with like a surface level topic and then you kind of get into it and realize like, well, it's actually this thing. Mm -hmm. If you catch my drift. Yeah. I find that. So breaking it up into a few pieces. So I find that typically the younger, the client, the more uh, aware of that they are of the more deeper issues. So typically mm-hmm. the younger clients come in with straight up, I have childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that the older the client, they're usually coming in with um, working on wanting to work on confidence or boundaries or family issues, or um, maybe they have anxiety or depression. And then typically under that, yeah. is trauma. Yep. <laughs> Say the same thing. And yeah. I had the same experience of like, oh, it's, it's this and this and this, you know, it's like these kind of like higher level topics. And then at the end of the day, it's like, oh, you mean everything is related to my daddy issues? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So when I've been asking all of the, the therapists, counselors, and experts in this particular theme, the same question, and I would love to hear it in your words and what your opinion is, Mm -hmm. how do you think that that we as people, as human beings heal ourselves? I think a lot of it starts with that self-awareness piece, Mm -hmm. because I think that you can't heal something that you don't know is, um, you know, not working for you. So self-awareness around what do I need? What is, what um, maybe coping strategies am I using aren't working for me? What is maybe harmful for me, whether that is coping strategies, whether that's relationships, whether that's experiences um, and doing some of that work. So whether that be with a therapist or just um, reflecting on your own in terms of journaling or all that kind of stuff. I think that's really the starting point is what do you need? Because once you find out what you need, that's when you can start to make steps to actively meet those needs or find who it is that you need to help meet those things. Yep. Okay. Thank you. And do you feel like, okay, I have a follow-up question. I lied. That wasn't the last question. Yeah. Do you feel like people should always be in therapy? Like I've come to the conclusion it's a lifelong journey, but do you think, you know, people should take breaks or what do you, what do you typically prescribe if you will? Yeah. I also think that therapy is kind of a lifelong journey, but I am a massive fan of therapy breaks. I think that it's important to live in the now. Yeah. And so I think that when you're in therapy, typically when people are in therapy, it's on a semi, semi-consistent basis, whether that's, you know, bi-weekly or every three weeks, every month. But I think that it's important to take breaks sometimes to integrate the stuff that you've learned mm-hmm. um, and be able to have some of that self-reliance. And then you can always go back if you need to, or if you want to, but I think it's really important to live in the now and not always be self-improving. Yeah. I agree with that. Did you hear that, everybody? Take a break (laughs) once in a while. Um, Okay. So I know that you take clients, but only in the province of Alberta, Canada, correct? Yes. I am registered in Alberta and Ontario. Oh, and Ontario. Okay. And, um, but you also do consulting for businesses. So tell people where you want them to go to find you. We will have your website, thecollectivecorner.ca in the show notes, but where else do you want people to, to go so they can learn more about you? So my Instagram handles on Instagram and TikTok or the cognitive corner um, and then my website. So yeah, those two places. Okay. Awesome. I think everyone should definitely follow Simone on, 
on the social media handles, whether you're on Instagram, TikTok, or both. And if you are in Ontario and Calgary, check it out. I thank you so much for being here. I absolutely love the sound of your voice too. Oh, it's thank so, you. <laughs> so soothing and calm. And I, I often need someone to like bring me down a little bit. Cause I can kind of like, I need someone to grab me by the ankles. So <laughs> I appreciate you so much and listeners. I appreciate you for listening and spending time with uh, me and my guests over here. And remember it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hi there. Swinging back by to say one more thing. You know how I'm always giving advice over here on the show and on social media, and a couple of those things is that I'm always telling you to ask for what you want, be clear about it, and also ask for help. So I am taking a dose of my own medicine, and I'm going to do that right now. It would be the absolute best and mean the world to me if you reviewed and subscribed to this show, Make Some Noise Podcast, on whatever podcast platform of your choice. And even more importantly, it would matter so much if you shared this show. Sharing the show is one of the few ways the podcast can grow, and that also gives more women an opportunity to make some noise in their lives. You can do that by taking a screenshot when you're listening on your phone and sharing it in your Instagram or Facebook stories. If you're on Instagram, you can tag me at Hey Andrea Owen, and I try my best to always reshare those and give you a quick thank you DM. And also, you can tell your friends and family about it. Tell them what you learned. Tell them a really awesome guest that you found on the show that you started following. Whatever it is, I appreciate so much you sharing about this show. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.